Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, March 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a state lawmaker announces his plans to switch races in an upcoming election. Does it help or hurt his chances to win? That's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not the ease of the fight that we're looking for. It's the impact of the fight. Then what's next for the State Library Commission as it faces budget cuts? And we'll hear about the connection statistics reveal between location and certain health outcomes. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Controversy is brewing in the Mississippi Republican Party over a state senator's decision to bow out of a U.S. Senate race. Last month, Republican State Senator Chris McDaniel of Ellisville said he was running against U.S. Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi. McDaniel began campaigning and Wicker's camp ran ads against McDaniel on TV. Then Wednesday, McDaniel announced he's changed his target. He's going to pursue U.S. Senator Thad Cochran's seat. Cochran is retiring April 1st due to health reasons. McDaniel says his decision to change races was affected by rumors that U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell has weighed in on Mississippi politics. It's a combination of several things. Um, you know, it really troubled me to keep hearing these reports that Mitch McConnell was in Mississippi or having his people in Mississippi trying to influence this process. The people of our state recognize that Washington is broken. They recognize there's this disconnect between Washington and the people of our state. And so to see Mitch McConnell down here bringing the swamp to Mississippi, cutting deals and schemes, for goodness sakes, even the timing of Senator Cochran's resignation was timed specifically, so I would not jump in that race. I think the people of this state are tired of the games. They're tired of the schemes. They're tired of the plans. And so the idea was just that to go ahead, uh, announce, explain to Mitch McConnell that his um, uh, help here, whatever the case is, his uh, interference here isn't needed, and then perhaps more importantly to recognize that we have a unique opportunity to unite the party in a special election around a single candidate, one that's already in the race. Why does that matter? Well, we've seen what happens when there's these intra-party wars or these bloodbaths that occur. And what I have here is a situation where I'm running for the same seat that I ran for in 2014, the same seat that we thought we won in 2014. Now, God had other plans for that, obviously, and that's okay. We accept that. And we moved forward, finally. But now is a chance to come back and look at that seat again and to move forward and, and be allowed to finish the seat that we feel like um, uh, we fought so hard for in 2014. In 2014, McDaniel ran against Cochran and narrowly lost a primary runoff race. He says he's not changing races because it will be easy. That's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not the ease of the fight that we're looking for. It's the impact of the fight. Initially, because of timing considerations, the Wicker race was the, the one we, we entered. Naturally, just a couple of days later, Senator Cochran announces his resignation, and it brought back uh, the question of whether or not we should be in this race or the other. 
ultimately, at the end of the day, what we want to do is to have these debates publicly. We want to talk about these ideas publicly. We want to fight for conservative values publicly and allow the people to make that call. If we're able to de defeat the swamp, defeat the establishment, then we send a strong message to Washington, again, that Mitch McConnell is not welcome here, uh, and neither are the ways of interference that we've seen in the past. Hopefully, that fight would lead to other successes in 19 and then in 20, again, if need be. So what we're looking for is the most impactful way to make a difference, not the easiest way. Governor Phil Bryant has criticized McDaniel's move, calling it opportunistic behavior. I just uh, would say there's a reason to run for public office. You need to know what office you're seeking and why, and it's not a personal reason. It is a reason of how you can do the most good, where you can serve. Uh, and so if you're just trying to be something, if, if, if you just want to be a senator or be governor, uh, it, it, this is probably not the work for you. Uh, if you want to serve and do the most good in public life, uh, that that should be your choice. Uh, and, and I'm not assigning uh, any uh, any motive to anyone whatsoever. But it 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 uh, it seems unusual to be campaigning and saying I'm going to run against the establishment, and then all of a sudden say I think I found an easier path, and I'm going to run against whoever the governor of the state of Mississippi might appoint to be in this position, whoever that is. Um, that, I, I, uh, we, we're going to make a really good appointment. I'm going to stand by whoever is appointed. I'm going to campaign with them. I'm going to help them raise money. This silly notion that there's some outside force that Mitch McConnell is going to call and tell me who to select is, a, is just absolutely ridiculous. And, and uh, uh, I would take offense to anyone suggesting that I could be moved one way or, or the other by anyone outside the state of Mississippi. McDaniel disagrees with the governor's comments. I've known Phil for a long time, and he's been a good governor. And uh, so I stand by that. Um, to his points, I would suggest that he, he didn't think I was opportunistic when I was his chairman in Jones County when you ran for lieutenant governor. He didn't think I was opportunistic when I um, helped him get elected and then I led his fights on the floor of the Senate four years. He didn't think it was opportunistic when I helped him get elected governor. He didn't think I was opportunistic when I filed a, a federal health care lawsuit against Obamacare and he was my client. Uh, he didn't think it was opportunistic when I stood with him and voted with him these last several years I've been in the Senate. It seems the only time he found it opportunistic is when Mitch McConnell told him to find it opportunistic. And that's fine. I know he and Mitch have been talking and Mitch McConnell doesn't like me very much and that's fine. But I have no ill will whatsoever toward Phil Bryan. I wish him the best. It's just that Mitch McConnell doesn't need to be affecting Mississippi politics. He does not need to be down here selecting or appointing or anointing our next U.S. senator. So that's one of the places Phil and I disagree greatly. Once the seat is officially vacant, Bryant has 10 days to appoint a replacement. Governor Bryant tells MPB's Mark Rigsby McDaniel is not being considered as an appointee. I think it'd be very likely that the president would support um, whomever is selected here in Mississippi and the vice president. So McDaniel's not on the list? He is not on the list. Nathan Schrader is professor of political science at Millsaps College. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier McDaniel has the support of the Mississippi Tea Party. What's going on in a nutshell is that we're in the middle of a very rare sort of historic moment in politics, not just in Mississippi, but also in the country. And so what's happened is there are you know, numerous politicians and elected officials obviously looking at this race in both parties or looking at both races, rather, 
And so State Senator Chris McDaniel, who I think in a lot of ways is sort of the face of the Tea Party movement uh, or that wing of the Republican Party in Mississippi, Senator McDaniel had declared to run against Roger Wicker. He sort of changed his mind, switching to run in the other race, which there's no incumbent yet. And there won't be an incumbent until we know who the governor appoints. Is that a bad thing? If you look at it from the perspective of Senator McDaniel, uh, from my understanding is this is this is a smart idea politically. Back in January, we released the, the, the Millsaps College Chisholm Strategy State of the State Survey, which was a poll statewide of Mississippi voters. And we found in that poll, Senator Wicker, among the Republicans we surveyed, it was very high. It's 63 percent gap between his approval, disapproval figure. That's incredibly high for Roger Wicker as an incumbent Republican. Meanwhile, Senator McDaniel's ratings were still positive among Republicans. He had a plus 28 to 28% more Republicans said they approved of him than disapproved. But I think Senator McDaniel was looking at this realistically and saying, you know, Roger Wicker, he, he doesn't seem to have many chinks in his armor politically. Here's another seat that's wide open at the moment. We have no idea who else may get in. Plus, it's a nonpartisan race. There are so many other dynamics at work here. I think politically speaking... From Senator McDaniel's perspective, this makes a lot of sense. Well, he ran for the race before and narrowly lost. So is he thinking right. that uh, the second time will be the charm? I think that's possible. And, and, and I think that he's been very uh, visible campaigning for other conservative uh, kind of leaning politicians, ones associated with, with, with the Tea Party movement. I don't. I think that there are a lot of folks, as I said earlier, might – look at him as maybe being the face of that movement. And I guess there, there is one, one thing I was a bit surprised by is the governor's decision to characterize Senator McDaniel's jump from one race to the other as being opportunistic. Well, anyone who I think runs for any office can be painted as being opportunistic, right? That, that, that there's something about you wait and decide what race is the best one for me rather than just running for any race. And, and I, so I, I was sort of surprised by that characterization because whether you agree with Senator McDaniel and his politics or not, I think that same charge could be levied against any, elect, any candidate running for office. What do you think that stems from, the governor's opinion? It seems like part of it has to do with Senator McDaniel, of course, going back to his 2014 race, challenging the party establishment, and he continues to, I think, to some degree, be contrarian of sorts when it comes to following along with what the state party establishment wants to do. Part of this may be motivated by kind of behind-the-scenes factors that we may not have a complete and full understanding of. Do you think that um, State Senator McDaniel could potentially win? Oh, I think it's certainly possible. And this is why the second the race for the seat that will have been by April 1st vacated is going to be very different than the other in the sense that it's a nonpartisan race. So anybody can choose to run in the first election, which will be on election, the regular election day in November. So whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or something else, all those names are going to appear without a party ID or affiliation listed next to them. And so should nobody get 50% plus one, there'll be an automatic runoff with the top two. So you'll see lots of folks, I think there'll be multiple candidates in that race. 
some of them, because it's a nonpartisan election, are going to be using that opportunity to appeal to independent voters and to Democratic voters, to Republican voters, no matter who they are, because this is the big chance to do it. These open Senate seats come up very infrequently. And as we can see in Mississippi, going back you know, several decades into the 1940s, we've only had a handful of U.S. senators like Jim Eastland and John Stennis. Trent Lott, Thad Cocker, and Roger Wicker. So these seats very rarely open up, let alone two seats on the same day. Professor Schrader, we really appreciate your time in speaking with us from Millsaps College. I'm glad to do it. On November 6th, a special election will be held to elect someone to finish the two years left of Cochrane's term. Coming up, what's next for the State Library Commission as it faces budget cuts? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's pledge time on MPB Television, and you can show your support for quality MPB programming now through March 18th. Music fans are in for a real treat during this pledge drive with programs featuring rhythm and blues, soul, and country from the Highwaymen and the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And don't miss a concert for George that celebrates the life of Beatle George Harrison with performances by Eric Clapton, Tom Petty, and others. Tune in tonight through March 18th, and hey, music lovers, call in a pledge. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Will any public libraries have to cut hours or close doors? It's the question leaders are facing as a possible cut to funding may again reduce the budget at the Mississippi Library Commission. The commission oversees and supports all of the state's libraries and assists with distribution of state and federal funds and oversight. It has received cuts in recent years as well, including a 9% decrease in 2016. Sharman Smith is interim executive director of the State Library Commission. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby they aren't giving up despite the current outlook. Well, it looks pretty dire at the moment. Uh, Both the House and the Senate have passed versions of our legislative budget recommendation, which is $277,000 less than we have in 2018. So we are going to be working to get that money back in conference committee and also to get money for the health insurance increase for public libraries, which is about $188,000. So we will be looking at trying to get back or get $430,000 back over the course of conference. If you don't get that money back, what does that mean for the Library Commission and more specifically local libraries where some of this money is funneled down to? Well, given that about 79% of our budget actually goes out of the agency to public libraries, if we were to have to absorb a $400,000 cut, uh, we would be looking at some cuts in local programs, uh, such as the personnel grant program, which helps supplement salaries in, in local libraries. I know that the Library Commission has been on tough times seeing your budget reduced over the past couple of sessions. Do we look at the future as libraries closing across the state if the money is just not there? Of course, that would be the last resort. Um, We have not had anybody who has actually closed a library, but what they have done is reduce hours to the point that for many members of the community, it might as well be closed because they're not open during the hours that they can get to the library. Uh, And that is really very critical when you think about the importance of libraries in local communities. 
libraries are not about books. Uh, libraries are about a place for people to gather, and they're about a place for people to use computers. We all make the assumption that everybody in the world has a computer and a smartphone. That's not true in Mississippi. And people go to the public library for that access to the web as well as books to go to meetings, to attend children's programming, adult programming. So our libraries are not book places anymore. They are community places. What would you say to, to the person or the argument that would, that would bring up everyone now having instant access through their smartphone or their tablet or their personal computer to just about everything that you could actually find in a library right now? I would say, first of all, that's not true on several levels. One is everyone doesn't have a smartphone or a tablet or a computer. Uh, There's a lot of people in Mississippi that don't have access to the Internet at home or at work. Um, The other part of that is the library is a lot more about than, than books. It's, it's more about the place. It's a place for people to gather. It's a place for people to learn. You have to remember, once people get out of school, where else are they going to learn? Where they have access to authoritative uh, materials that we know to be factual, uh, rather than just what you find on the web, which might be what I invented in my basement. Do you think the Library Commission and local libraries need to redefine themselves so that it can present themselves in a different way to get that money back and maybe even increase funding in some way? I think libraries and the Library Commission have been redefining ourselves. I think what we have not been doing is explaining that well enough for people to understand. It's not an issue of us not changing. It's an issue of us not communicating the change. And what has the change been? The change has been, obviously, we do a lot more things electronically. We have specialized, for instance, at the Library Commission. We don't have a a big general collection anymore as much as we do specialized collections that help libraries, for instance, for people who can't read standard print. We have a huge, large print collection at the Library Commission, which we loan to individuals and we loan to libraries so that they have those collections locally. Just right off the top of your head, do you know what the usage numbers are? Are are we seeing more people use the library, about the same, or or fewer? More people are using the library today than have ever used the library. Uh, Yes, we may, sometimes we see the checkout of books is going down in places, but other things are going up. Use of the computers, coming to meetings at the library. Uh, There are all sorts of makerspaces in libraries where people come together and put Legos together, and it might be children, it might be adults, it might be autistic children. There are all sorts of people using libraries for many, many things. So usage of public libraries is skyrocketing. Mississippi Library Commission Director Sharman Smith with MPB's Mark Rigsby. Learn more about the Library Commission's budget and other issues around Mississippi on MPB's At Issue. The state's only statewide news program airs tonight at 7.30 on MPB TV. Coming up, we'll hear about the connection statistics reveal between location and certain health outcomes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Kamel King. Join us Friday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. We'll travel across the state letting you know about people and places that make Mississippi great. You never know where the road will take us, but you are sure to learn more about artists, attractions, and events. So tune in and buckle up for a weekly adventure with Next Stop Mississippi. This morning at 10 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Teenage girls living in the Mississippi Delta are more likely to get pregnant than those in the rest of the state. That's according to a recent analysis. The 2018 County Health Rankings and Roadmaps report reveals that more girls ages 15 to 19 are having children in the region. The analysis conducted by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation uses a variety of statistics to measure health factors and outcomes. Christopher Cox is director of youth programs at Teen Health Mississippi. He tells MPB Ashley Norwood more about youth work in key counties. Um, it's very true that there is a high prevalence of STIs, um, STDs in the Delta counties. We have actually a program that addresses these issues in Quitman, Tunica, and Coma counties called Focus for Teens. So we're really trying to motivate those communities to see a need to get these young people to come and get tested in their centers and to maintain their health care. I think the biggest concern in that area is access. So you see a lack of access to quality health care, transportation, education in those counties. So we definitely need to address those three areas. How is access connected to prevention? In those counties, you have a lot of people who don't have proper transportation, especially young people. You know, a lot of times they're probably utilizing their parents' cars or the family might not even have a car. So we definitely want to make sure that we address these needs of these young people to even get to a health center to see a doctor. Because a lot of young people feel that they are invincible at that age. So they feel like a lot of those services aren't directed to them. But we talk to these health centers to let them know to create available hours at their centers so that these young people can come and receive services. But a lot of them don't even know that these services exist because this is not something that's currently taught in schools. You know, that's another thing that Teen Health Mississippi does. We really try to encourage abstinence plus programs. So we can have, let these young people know what the problem is in their communities. And there are ways to address these issues, and we can really decrease those rates. Do you have any figures or statistics that you use when you, you know, go out into the community just to kind of say, this is how many people are affected, or this is the commonality of people affected by STIs? Mississippi is number two in the nation for unintended teen pregnancy rates. And I think those numbers are not foreign to a lot of people in Mississippi because we're always kind of looked at to be at the bottom of the great stats and the top of the bad stats. So it's not that surprising. But when we start to dig into actually where these numbers are coming from, when we talk to these people in the Delta communities, specifically Quitman, Cahoma, and Tunica, and let them know that some of these high STI rates are coming from these three counties, it's a shock because this is happening in their backyard and they have never been presented with these facts uh, before. So it kind of, it's kind of jarring a little bit, and I really um, it excites me to see them get a little taken aback by those figures because it's the first time someone's mentioned that to them. So they'll be more open to ask questions about how to prevent these numbers from rising. We looked at the rankings report, the county's rankings report. How would that impact the total health of a state like Mississippi? A lot of our problems intersect with one another. Um, we look at a lot of the discussion that's been going around education, uh, throughout the state. Um, we're currently talking about health care. A lot of these problems that we have really intersect with one another. And I think a lot of these 
statistics could be solved by just education and rethinking how we kind of approach this um, thought process about how we educate these young people. Thank you. Christopher Cox with Teen Health Mississippi. Thank you, Ashley. Tunica County has the highest rates of teenage births. Quitman and Cahoma tie at second. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.